Servus and greetings from Vienna. My name is Anita Posch. Thank you for listening to Bitcoin und Co., my podcast that's introducing the philosophy, ideas and people behind Bitcoin. Before we start, a message from my sponsors. The Card Wallet is the ideal solution to store your Bitcoin keys in the medium and long run. No software updates needed, it's 100% offline, it leaves no traces on the blockchain if you give it away as a gift or inheritance. With the card wallet, you'll get one Bitcoin address, you can send Bitcoin to it whenever you wish, and all you have to do is to store it in a safe place. That's it. The manufacturers are the Austrian State Printing House, who is also the producer of Austria's passports, and Coinfinity, Austria's first Bitcoin broker. Order your card wallet at cardwallet.com forward slash Anita and get 20% off. Hello people and welcome to another episode of the Bitcoin and Co. podcast. Today's guest is Pascal Hügli. Pascal is from Switzerland and he's a journalist, moderator, lecturer and he calls himself a lifelong student. Hi Pascal. Hello Anita, happy to be here. Great to have you, thank you for doing this today. Pascal, uh, we will talk about some of your work today you did some you wrote some articles about the future of banking and the future of money and um before we start i would like to ask you are you self-employed or what did you do or what are you doing at the moment and um, how did you get into the bitcoin space yes uh, well currently i'm actually employed yes i work for a small company in switzerland out of zurich It's called Financial Media AG, and it's an independent uh, journalistic enterprise, I would call it. We're only four people, and we're focused on finance and economics and uh, all these type of uh, yeah themes. And uh, yes, I studied economics and political sciences at the University of Zurich. And that was also the time when I uh, actually bumped into Bitcoin. Uh, but privately, uh, when I was just reading and researching And yes, uh, then I, I got into the topic ever more deeply and it just uh, really fascinated me how, like so many others, you know, how there's a whole new thing, like a new paradigm, I would argue, emerging. So yes, I studied it ever more also in Vienna, uh, where you live. And yeah, it's really great. Uh, so uh, that's why I yeah started to go on this journey ever since. And what would you say are the properties about Bitcoin that interest you the most? I mean, Bitcoin has so many different sides. What is the most interesting part for you? Well, I would argue the most interesting part for me is that it just tries to be really different from many things we already know in the traditional world. You know, I probably like it uh, for the many things many people dislike it, you know, so that it uh, is a private uh privately owned money or a privately organized money you know in a more or less uh, anarchic or, or like market uh anarchistic um way you know uh, that's what i really like about it there's just a, a great community to, who comes together and really they it's a social phenomenon you know emergent and it's not top down it's more bottom up and all these things that people usually don't really like when it comes to money i find really interesting Not because I really dislike everything else that we have in the traditional world, you know. I, I also find really great 
great um, yeah, comfort and, and, and also uh, value in what we have in, in the more traditional world, as I would call it. But I find it really interesting to have an alternative as well, you know, because I'm also always thinking in alternatives, you know, the world is never just black and white and it's not one easy solution that gets everything. And that is the, like the, the all solution or the solution to everything. So the more options we have and with Bitcoin, I think we have another option when it comes to money, when it comes to potential a new financial system to many, many things. You know, I think uh, that's very interesting. Also, privacy is a topic that's associated with Bitcoin, you know, banking the unbanked and, and helping people who don't really get uh, into the traditional financial system. All these things, you know, I find really interesting. And this is why I, yeah, I would uh, not, I didn't stop uh, looking at it uh, so far. Now with Bitcoin, we don't need banks anymore to send money around the world. But why is this important? What are the problems you see in the traditional banking system today? Well, yeah, the problem with banking, I mean, there's, I would argue, the most pressing problem is a systematic one, you know, that banks, uh, they're part of a greater thing, you know, which I would call the triumvirate, you know, of, of, of state, uh, central banks and commercial banks, you know, and these kind of form the system today, the financial system. And uh, it's, uh, it is inclusive, but only to some extent, you know, that as I already uh as I already mentioned, like many people are excluded from this uh, uh, system, you know, uh, this, uh, I, I particularly mean people that are not uh, from the first world, you know, that are people that live in, in other countries uh, of the third world, and, and they have a really hard time getting into the system. But then also for us, uh, the ones who are in the system, we might be lucky to be there and, and have really great banking solutions, you know, uh, we're typically also overbanked. But these systems also become ever more pressing, you know, in the sense that they're are ever more, I would argue, um, they, they are a relevant part in our lives, you know, and uh, it, they they get they have all our wealth and, and much of our money and, and much of our lives depend on them, you know. And so I think, uh, yeah, the more they are come, become relevant for us, the the greater is also poss a possible downside to when the system maybe some someday w could fail or, or, or would fail, you know, and uh, we never know if it really will fail. But, uh, you know, life is just full of uncertainty. So I think it's uh, really pressing that we also think about other things. And with the banking system, you know, as I experience it, you know, it, it, it reaches some limits also when it comes to, to scalability evermore, um, also within our system. I mean, nowadays I have just some personal anecdotes where I try to get something out of the bank. Just a couple of days ago, I wanted to get some old uh, reports uh, on monthly um, on the monthly transaction history with a bank I used to be at, and uh, I'm not at, at this bank anymore. So I actually uh, approached them and told them, hey, can I have uh, these reports two years back? And then at the counter, the lady said, yeah, I'll have to check it. I was there for over 30 minutes and I thought it can't be that hard to just get a spreadsheet, you know, and, 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 and print it out and give it to me. And then after 30 minutes, when she got it, she was like, okay, and now you have to pay me 100 Swiss francs for 100 pages, you know, so one franc per page. And I was like, uh, that can't be true, right? And she, that, that's true. So I said, okay, I'm not going to get this, you know. And this was just like a personal anecdote, but it showed me that the system is so really, um, I would say, uh, 
yeah, a peak, it hit a peak, you know, where it's just, it's an old system that is not scalable anymore, that is just not really in favor of, of the customers anymore. And that just kind of lifts off uh, credit expansion, money expansions, how you probably have talked about on your podcast as well. So this is why I would say the banking system really needs to be reformed, you know, in, in, in a fundamental way. And there I see also Bitcoin, uh, playing a huge part. Can we talk a little bit about this credit expansion and what the results are? I mean, as I understand it, um, it's the Cantillon effect where the money flows to the people who are basically in the first row after the money being printed by the central banks. What do you think about this uh, credit expansion? Because many people also say the system has to fail in the next years. Yeah, well, uh, I can't really say definitely whether it will fail or not, but it's certainly something that is uh, really deteriorating. You know, I think the credit expansion for me, it's 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 always uh, I, sometimes when I talk to people, they they blame it all on credit expansion and they see it as the greatest evil ever. And I would argue, no, maybe it's not. You know, I mean, credit or that you can expand credit within an economic system is also positive for me. You know, because it shows there's trust between people and trust between banks and people. And you can you can expand credit. And this is actually a good thing, you know. But to me today, I think the, the way people look at credit expansion and the, the, the reason for why they think it's not such a great thing anymore. And it's actually a burden on society is because it's become an, or it's become like an institutionalized credit expansion, you know, of private, public Banks, you know, central banks, what I would call like public banks, and then the privately owned banks, you know, which are the commercial banks. And then you also have the state who orchestrates everything, you know, and these entities, you know, they, um, it, it becomes like a credit expansion on its, for its own sake, you know, um, just, um, for eternal economic growth, you know, you have to expand money ever further. And as you mentioned, truly, this has some, some effects, you know, on society. You mentioned the Cantillon effect where the ones that are really close to where the money is uh, created get the money first and they are then enriched because the ones that get the money later, they will already have to face higher prices and stuff, you know. So, yeah, there are some like really redistributional effects to money creation and I think you will never get it out of this world. There will always be problem. Nothing will be 100% perfect, you know, but today because it's become an, or it's become such a great or institutionalized uh, money creation, um, yeah, where also you have other negative effects uh, coming from this, such as negative interest rates, you know, just huge um, like property prices and, and other prices, asset prices that uh, leave many people out of the picture because they can't really save anymore and stuff. You know, this is really something like that is institutional. Some people even call it legal plunder, you know. I don't know if I would go this far, but it's just something I think is not right anymore. And this is why I would consider this credit expansion to be uh, uh, at net uh, a rather uh, negative thing today, yes. And how could Bitcoin be an alternative here? I mean, Bitcoin has a fixed limit, we know that. But uh, many people say, okay, but then we can't control the money flowing in or out. So a nation state can't control its own uh, monies. How can Bitcoin be a help here? 
we will probably only see this in the future, you know, uh, and I can't really know. I don't really have a crystal ball to, to I, I would love it, you know, but I think the way it will probably go about is that Bitcoin will just be some kind of check, you know, on, on the traditional world. You know, I think there are problems to Bitcoin as well. You mentioned the thing with, with this uh, cap supply, you know, where it's kind of hard when demand comes in that the supply cannot really react to this uh, demand, you know, which will always, to my understanding, create some volatility. And uh, this, uh, because Bitcoin might always be a little more volatile than other things in the short term, it will also have a hard time to be really adopted as uh, the general means of payment, you know, so... um, there I see some tensions, you know, uh, that the real like great economy could uh, establish on Bitcoin. Uh, but still, I mean, uh, to many people in the world, Bitcoin is still stay more stable than things they get from their government. You know, think of, of states in the third world, you know, that are just really uh, not having great currencies, you know, and to them, Bitcoin is even a better alternative than their means of payment, you know. And for us over here in the Western world, who maybe at this point in time, at least, have a stable currencies, you know, uh, for us, it's, it's, a, it's, a, and it's an empowerment of the saver, because I would argue in our Western world, people really get like uh, they get um, you know disenfranchised because they don't really have a good way to save anymore you know they're already in Germany I read this morning there are already 41 banks that charge negative interest rates you know and and I mean when you when you are in the financial system again and you have uh, like really your colleagues working at banks you may might be able to buy up property and and other assets you know so this can kind of save you but for a normal saver you know who don't really has access to these kinds of instruments he's just really at the whim of of central banks and banking today uh, where as we already mentioned uh, the financial repression is is get, getting ever more harsher, you know. And this way, I see Bitcoin as a way to kind of opt out, you know, and just say, hey, there's another system, something that can't be inflated, that is maybe not so correlated to the traditional world. And this way, I see it as a check that people just fleeing the old world because they don't can't stand it anymore and they can't take it anymore and 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 this way the old world also has or the traditional world i would argue has to overthink what they are doing and maybe this check in the form of bitcoin uh, challenges them to to be more cautious and maybe rethink their whole policies again you know that's at least what i would say i hope for yeah i i hope for too but um sometimes i think this is wishful thinking i mean maybe we are too early but I mean, Bitcoin was the first of a new kind, a real cryptocurrency. But what we see now is that most people or the major organizations as such, they all want to build their own stable coins, tokens, and more. And also, we know that central banks are uh, planning their own digital currencies. I don't know how they call it then, digital currencies, because it's not a cryptocurrency, actually. Are we not going into another direction? I mean, is it just a small percentage of people like you and me who can see what Bitcoin can be or is, and all the others are doing as usual? I mean, just going into a future where everything might be optimized, but the basic stays the same? 
Yeah, that's obviously a, a good point. And I'm also struggling with this as well. You know, uh, it's true. I mean, uh, there's an Austrian economist, uh, Joseph Schumpeter. He once said that like the, the, the monetary system is also a reflection of society's state of mind, you know, and uh, then maybe not the other way around. So we could argue that, that the system, the monetary system we have today is because of us humans who just think this way, you know, and who who really uh, indulge in credit expansion and, and, and don't want to have it any other way, you know. So this is certainly a great risk, you know, and I think, uh, yeah, it's true. People, uh, they don't really... Uh, they don't see no, or they see no value in Bitcoin. I usually get asked over here in Europe, why do you even care? I mean, everything is so great, you know, but then I say, yeah, maybe as long as they don't need it, uh, uh, they won't really, um, see any, any benefit and they don't have to, you know, but maybe this could change, you know. Uh, I always bring the example that even Germany, which was a really, uh, like well established state, you know, they went down the path uh, many, many, uh, like uh, decades ago that we would have never thought that they would go down this path, you know. And I think we're, we're not in a, in a state today where we can never experience anything, uh, like this, you know. I, I don't know what's going to happen in 30 years how switzerland how austria and all these places are going to look like and i can imagine that economy like the economy can really get tougher and 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 and, i mean then people would probably look for alternatives you know and i think it's also on an individual level you know maybe we don't have to think in these mass adoption scenarios you know and and get as many people as possible do it individually talk to people you know i had friends who who told me uh, i have to pay a programmer in in pakistan and i don't get the dollars over there because they always get resent and every time i they get resent i pay 40 dollars for nothing then i told them about bitcoin and they did it in bitcoin and it just magically worked you know and then it was like okay now i see a use case and i think these things on an individual scale can really drive people to this sort of adoption it might not be a mass adoption but it'd be one one person at a time you know and i also maybe think that it's also maybe people that are you know i would say like asset managers and people who manage money on behalf of everybody else you know they might be the ones that will uh, discover Bitcoin at some point. And when they then start to invest and stuff, this will also have an impact, you know, because then Bitcoin will get ever stronger and the strength will not come from us individuals directly, but by these people who manage. And then you can also say again, okay, but then is somebody else who manages Bitcoin for you? Yes, fair enough. But still, um, they are going into Bitcoin and with Bitcoin increasing in market cap, it becomes ever more relevant. And this way, it could still have an effect on society. But I'm totally with you. I mean, uh, it's a long way to go and people, that's also what I always uh, struggle with, that maybe human mankind's mind is really not made for Bitcoin. <laughs> maybe not yet. <laughs> maybe it's just uh, too difficult to grasp in a short time, you know. I mean, I, I also needed, I think, I think after the first two or three months, I thought, okay, now I understood. Uh, but uh, now, after three years, I know I, I have something to learn every day in Bitcoin. So Bitcoin was the start. And Last year, we saw Libra, like Facebook wants to build its own currency 
Libra. I think they also have the slogan, Banking the Unbanked. What comes to mind in your head when, when you hear Libra or Facebook saying, we want to bank the unbanked? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I find it rather ambiguous, you know, uh, because I, I mean, Facebook, uh, it's a private company and I mean, they have done great things, you know, for us. I mean, I use Facebook still almost every day, you know, and uh, I wouldn't like uh, demonize them and say they're the worst thing ever on this planet, you know, but they're a privately owned company. They are, they are, there are human beings behind that. So uh, where human beings are, there are failures. And we you know with Facebook, there are many failures and it's just so really in the news because it's such a big company who handles so many data of all or the data of so many of us you know so i think they have some uh, responsibility uh, uh, we can surely say this and argue for this and then uh, when you see that facebook time and time and time and time again has not really shown greatest respect for this you know and i saw some videos how like mark zuckerberg on tv said something that he will never do this and then maybe three or four years later he did it you're like okay Please just be quiet next time, you know, because you never know what you're going to do in four years. But this just shows, you know, that uh, like whenever something gets really big, you know, and it is in centralized power, there are problems, you know. And then also when we think of Libra as being a currency, it was described as a cryptocurrency, but uh, to someone who uh, like at least somehow understands Bitcoin, recognizes Libra is not really a decentralized currency. There are there is a consortium of, of, of enterprises who are who is behind that. And uh, yeah, there might be some problems to this as well. But maybe the, the, the most pressing thing that comes to my mind when I t uh, think about Libra is that it's just an extension of, of fiat. You know, I call it fiat 2.0, you know, because uh, essentially Libra token is then just the interface uh, that you use as a user and behind it uh, are the, is the old same money system based on on central banks and and I would argue on on on, on state money you know fiat money which is uh, based by government bonds you know and this is also uh, how Libra is going to be structured you know you have you're going to have this reserve fund you know this basket. Uh, be it, cons be it or consisted of uh, US government bonds and so far they want to have other bonds as well but maybe it will only get launched with US government bonds you know but then you have to see that like the whole demand for Libra is just a demand for government bonds in the end you know and then you could say this is kind of prophetic you know because like whenever like uh, a saver in the third world uses Libra all he does is he's pouring his savings into a government bond of the first world, which I would say enriches the first world again because they can offload their debt even to these people down there, you know. Uh, and 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 then we could say it could be some some it could even be some monetary uh, colonialism, you know, because I think colonialism wasn't only bad for the people down there, but it wasn't just good, you know. There is always like the bad and the good together but uh, i would just be more cautious you know by saying look we are going to bank the unbank and everything is just going to be fine there are always trade-offs and i already see these trade-offs with with libra as well you know yeah i think it's a massive trade-off for uh, underdeveloped countries because as you said if all the people there put their money into libra because it's so convenient it's and it's more stable than their own national currency then all the financial power 
uh, drains out of the country and into a private-owned company. I mean, the same is true for Bitcoin. We could also argue and say, okay, if people buy Bitcoin, then their local currency or their nation-state currency drains out into Bitcoin. But at least this is an open uh, financial system and not privately owned. So the, I guess the benefit should be for the, the whole of the economy again, the whole Bitcoin ecosystem economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, that's always these trade-offs that you mentioned now, you know. I mean, you could argue that, that people can then use like Libra, which is maybe more stable and they can have a, a whole like a known balance sheet from which they can then like stably um, make transactions and also like build up some kind of um, merchandise or just become become economically relevant you know maybe this is the case but uh, maybe it's not you know and uh, we just don't know yet but uh, it's whenever something is in the is so politicized how it is today I mean it's always either good or bad you know Libra and Yeah, I just see there's always traders and we just have to think about this and also mention these and debate these that people when they like have the option of, of entering Libra that they know what this whole thing comes with, you know, that they are not buying the cat in the bag or something. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, researching the other day about... Uh, cryptocurrencies in Africa. I mean, Africa is very big, of course, but I um, mean, by the time that this uh, episode is published, I'm going to be in Zimbabwe and Botswana. And I heard that some people there might found a Africa coin or something like a pan-African cryptocurrency. And I'm really curious what they uh, think about or what they are planning. And you were also talking about tokenization before. With this tokenization, it seems that, I mean, we have these, I think, two parts in the Bitcoin and blockchain community. On the one hand, you have people who say Bitcoin, not blockchain. And on the other hand, we have people who only talk about blockchain or DLT. The second group very often also talks about tokenization, like tokenizing all various forms of assets from fiat money to real estate, etc. And very often it's also said that's a good thing because it's democratization of financial instruments. So everybody now can be a part and can gain interest or profits on real estate, for instance. Isn't it a usual outcome in a free market that when there is high interest for an asset, the price is rising? So then it's again not wealth increasing for the small people. What do you think about that? Well, yeah, sure. I mean, again, there, there are trade-offs to this as well. You know, I see, I mean, tokenization generally... I'm neither in one nor the other camp. You know, I, I, I really like what's going on. Bitcoin, I would say Bitcoin, yes. But I would also say, uh, don't say no to blockchain and everything else that is coming along with it, you know, but be critical all the, all the long or uh, anyways, you know, but sure. I mean, tokenization, I don't know. Um, I mean, I see some some benefits also, as you already mentioned, you know, in Africa, maybe some local communities, you know, who could like with a, with a new technology, you know, use this uh, some kind of uh, public blockchain as a base layer on, on top of this issue 
uh, their tokens that represent like uh, stuff from their local economy. You know, I, I know a, a person, uh, he has a foundation called Purini Foundation, and they're also working in Zimbabwe and trying to bootstrap a local economy there, you know, with their Purini token that would really help these people, you know, get something started, you know. And maybe uh, you have the aspect of, of social money, you know, where money is not really like a global ledger or something, but it's still something that's that's really down to, to a social community, you know, and, and it just only circulates in this community. And it's some kind of, it's not even a real money. It's just something that, that enables a better barter barter economy you know in a social like a like a clan or or like a little bigger society or something and there i would say uh don't really uh write off technology just yet you know maybe it can help i don't know i haven't really been there and uh um, i'm i'm only reading about this and trying to think about this in my head but uh yeah we don't know but obviously with with with, with the big big things uh, especially with technology if something is really global and it's easily accessible like bitcoin yeah i mean uh, many people are want in on the action and then the price rises and again uh, you know that's always a, a counter argument i hear now bitcoin is worth 90000 uh Swiss francs or dollars or something. And can I even buy a Bitcoin? Yes, with Bitcoin, you can pay uh, a fraction of it, but still, then you only get a fraction, you know, and the ones that uh, like entered uh, at the beginning are the ones that are uh, of the best, you know, but that's always dynamics of this world. And I think you will never be able to erase them uh, altogether, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I see it all again, there are some pros and cons to, to tokenization and, and blockchain. Mm. What do you think about stable coins? Can stable coins really be stable? Hmm, yeah, it's, a, it's also a really interesting question. Uh, if they can really be stable, I mean, in the short run, they maybe can. In the long run, I mean, nothing is really stable. From an economic point of view, you have to argue that, uh, I mean, even like... Uh, Fiat money, you know, is maybe stable when it comes to everyday transactions. But if you take a, like a longer time horizon, you see that like fiat money, even the Swiss franc, which is considered to be a really great uh, currency, you know, is not stable at all. It loses value on a, on a, on a concurrent basis, you know, and then stable. Yeah. When it comes to currencies, I mean, there are many interesting um, ideas on how to, to make them stable, you know, to, in relation to goods, you know. And uh, I'm, I'm rather skeptical if this will really work uh, in the long term if you have not the power uh, that a central bank has, you know, who eventually uh, uh, is backed by the law as well and really has the power to issue its own money and even... Uh, when, when, when push comes to shove, it can like really uh, force it onto the people, you know. So with a stable coin, I mean, uh, yeah, it's 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 just, uh, or maybe also uh, like a trust issue, you know, when you can like uh, reliably tell your people that use your stable coin, look, uh, we can make sure that we always have enough reserves to keep like the stable coin stable. Uh, in reference to to some state currency, yeah, then maybe you can you can uh, like uplift this uh, sort of um, illusion, I would call it, 
But uh, yeah, I don't know if a stablecoin really works in the end. But so far, uh, it seems to work. And I think there's also some great benefits to it for people in, in countries like uh, Venezuela and stuff. That's at least what I heard. Again, I haven't really been there myself. So I just what I hear. But I can imagine that uh, these kind of instruments can already have some benefits to some people, you know. So Bitcoin and Libra definitely gave some kind of tailwind to the development of uh, central bank digital currencies. Do you believe that these uh, digital currencies from central banks could disrupt commercial banking? That's something that's really discussed nowadays and, and many people uh, hold it as a given that uh, CBDCs will be launched within the next few years. I myself, I'm not so sure, you know, because eventually if you have a CBDC, I think, you know, uh, and, and you're uh, launching it through the central banks and you're also allowing like regular citizens to have an account at the central bank, you know, then uh, we would have what we could call like a sovereign money system, you know, we call it in German Vollgeldsystem. And uh, I'm really not sure if a central bank really wants to have such a system, you know, because, uh, I mean, the system today, it kind of functions the way that like money creation is offloaded to to the commercial banks, you know, and this way they can also kind of decentralize the risk and decentralize like uh, the, the process of money creations, because then the bank have to make sure that whoever they give credit to that these creditors or, or, or debtors are actually, you know, really having enough means to pay back the loan, you know, so they can really offload this whole work to, to the commercial banks. And if you have a CBDC that is really launched as a full geld system, as a sovereign money, then everything would uh, be turned upside down, you know, and so far, so I'm not really sure if central banks really want to go down this route. Maybe they, they issue a CBDC just because they see that like normal, normal cash, you know, actual cash is, uh, is on the demise and, and nobody's using it anymore. And then they launch this CBDC also through the commercial banks, you know, and uh, then nothing really would change. It would just be that you have no, no cash anymore and the cash would be the CBDC, but it's still launched through, through, through commercial banks, uh, privately owned banks, you know. So, yeah, it is also something I'm really, I don't really know where it's going to be, but I just see both sides and I don't think it's so easy to have an answer just yet. It's definitely not easy to foresee the future. Nonetheless, uh, what do you think, which kind of developments are we going to see in the next five years, let's say in the Bitcoin uh, space and in other monies? Well, yeah, so uh, the future of money is probably the most interesting topic nowadays. And it's also the most interesting time to be alive because I think so much is changing, you know, because I would argue our, our traditional uh, monetary system is really at a crossroads. You know, it, it it's really uh, there could be like potential disruption happening and not only from outside, but really from within, you know, because the system is over leveraged it's just reached peak centralization uh, and peak expansion and and something has to give you know and i don't really know what it is but i can imagine that uh, things could change rapidly and also like uh, radically you know um you, we also talk about mmt you know the modern monetary theory when it comes to economic
economics and changing the monetary system. It's gaining a lot of traction in the US, you know, because uh, politicians uh, mainly see it as a way to to get the credit expansion like uh, in a more direct way right from the state without having a central bank and privately owned banks who have to buy like um, government bonds from 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 government and on this way uh, like the private bankers uh, can enrich themselves because they are the ones again that get all the interest and stuff so this is also something that i hear particularly from the left uh, people who say hey we need to have the mmt uh, because it's a more just system you know uh, more direct and stuff and i could imagine that this could really happen uh, maybe not in the next two or three years but maybe in the next 10 to to 12 years i don't know you know and uh what i would see then is just that money would be or like the the traditional fiat currencies you know they in my mind would become ever more worthless you know because then they're just like a number um somewhere on a spreadsheet they all they are already today but today you still have like private banks who have to to as i already mentioned you know uh like struggle with with uh, debit debitors, you know, to see whether when they give out credit that these debtors uh, pay pay back the loan, you know. And in the other system, this might be loosened up, you know. And then money would 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 become more more um, yeah worthless. I would say, you know, they it would lose its value even faster and even greater. And this way, I think would uh, or this this would be the reason for other money systems like like Bitcoin and the decentralized currency, you know, to gain more tractions because people they just uh, hold some of their money in the traditional fiat, but because it's losing value and they are all on a race to a bottom, they also diversify into Bitcoin and potential other assets. You know, I already mentioned this. Uh, thing with uh, social money you know that you will have smaller and smaller communities that find each other like like these filter bubbles we find on on social media today where like uh, many people or like a group of people they just meet uh, in a group of facebook and they uh, talk to each other and they just live within this bubble this could also maybe happen to money because technology uh, enables this you know that people really have this little barter economy going on within them you know uh, enhanced through the digital means and yeah this is maybe some some ways i could see things happening you know and also just maybe add with tokenization that shares and and, and gold and, and other assets could become more money-like again because they are represented by a token that can be like uh, sent around more easily and this could also be something that people uh go to you know uh, as as a, as a flight maybe from from the fiat uh, system losing out ever more so these would be the tendencies i i see exciting times ahead <laughs> um i think you also wrote a book about all these things did you Yes, yes, exactly. Yes, I also wrote a book. It's called uh, Ignore at Your Own Risk, uh, The New Decentralized World of Bitcoin and Blockchain. 
And yeah, there we touched on all these topics, you know, first and foremost on what Bitcoin is and, and, and how it's going to change society. Uh, is it gold? Is it nothing? Is it money? All these questions. But then also, you know, what effects it's going to have on society? How is the state going to be affected? And then we also talk about Ethereum, which I also found find interesting, you know, for, for all these uh, like uh, applications uh that it is known for you know and we just it's it's really like an educational book with some personal opinions wrapped into the book you know trying to to filter out where things could go also uh, like always i always say everyone even yeah, to myself what i write i have to take with a grain of salt you know because as we already mentioned we don't know where the world is going but yeah this is what we're trying to do in this book you know educational um content uh, for people who really are interested in, in what philosophical, economic, political, and even psychological questions are brought up with Bitcoin. And, and many of these questions are being asked again. That's just, this is really what I like, you know, because when I was at university, you couldn't talk about money, privately owned money, and all these things that we talk about today with Bitcoin. Nobody cared about them. But now, at least, they maybe come for making a quick buck, you know, because they see Bitcoin is going up. And many of the people, they leave the system again when, when the price falls. But two or three people, they stay and they stick uh, for the interesting questions. And this is really what I like. And this is also uh, who the, the book is for, people who want to know more on what this thing is all about, you know. Is it published in English already? Yes, we also have it in English. We have it in uh, German and in English. Okay, great. I will put it in the show notes then. Do you have other uh, reading recommendations for listeners, for Bitcoin enthusiasts and newbies? Well, there's uh, there's so, so, so much. I mean, uh, I know that uh, you have written a book. You've translated, I think, the book... Uh, by Andreas Antonopoulos, if I'm right, or you help translate, right? Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I'm yeah. part of the team. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, these books are great. I learned so much from Andreas as well. You know, he's been a great influence in our book. You know, we even have comics in our book where Andreas Antonopoulos is also like a comic figure, you know, where we not only try to tell the content uh, with words, but also in pictures and images. So this is kind of interesting. But I mean, other other books, I mean, there's so much out there. Uh, at the top of my uh, head or uh, I don't know what to tell you now but I mean people can always reach out to me um, if they want to know more on a particular topic I mean that's what I can say I read all day long it's uh, part of my journalistic job it's part of my my life as a, as a personal being you know as a lifelong student as you introduced me so that's I can say I have uh, pretty big overview when it comes to literature so whenever somebody wants to know something just hit me up and i can try to find it with you and try to help you and and give you like literature recommendation because reading is just really one of my biggest uh things i do all the time yeah yeah reading is great now i'm going to chill my own podcast book recommendation site where we'll also put your book it's nice. uh on bitcoinanco.com slash en slash books i believe okay uh we're coming to an end now pascal thank you very much please let us know where people can find and follow you um yes uh, i'm on twitter 
at Pahug uh, is my Twitter handle. And yes, I am all over the internet, I would argue, or I, I try, uh, at least I try to. But I mean, uh, we also financial media or 10, uh, x10.ch is our website where you can sign up to our newsletter and uh, Facebook, LinkedIn. Just hit me up. But maybe the best place is Twitter where uh, I'm happy to talk to you, happy to talk about everything, answer any questions. Uh, yes, I'm always tr trying to learn myself. And this is what I recognize. Whenever you talk to people, you learn the most yourself. You know, uh, that's that's great. Thank you very much for this chat and for your time. And I hope I will see you at one of the Bitcoin conferences, maybe in the future, but we'll definitely stay in touch. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much, Anita. And also uh, keep it up. Your work really great. And yeah, maybe we'll see each other. I think we'll be soon. Great. <laughs> Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. If you like my show, please subscribe to it in your podcast player and share the episode on social media. You can find all links that were mentioned in the show notes on the website or in your podcast player. You can contact me also on Twitter, LinkedIn or YouTube. Goodbye from Vienna of Wiederhören. Music, start with yes, delicate beats. Idea, content and production, yours truly, Anita Posch.